All right, we are live. Welcome to this week's Yanks Go Talking, the weekly U.S. soccer podcast. I'm joined by our aspiring astrophysicist and soccer nerd, Tom, and our German Yank on the ground, Ryan. I am Jake, the host of FIFA America and obviously co-host of Yanks Go Talking with these two other wonderful people. Before we jump into our episode today, it is going to be a live one. So we are live on YouTube and Twitch. Make sure to submit any questions you want through the chat. Talk to us throughout the episode. We are going to be talking about the October window for the World Cup qualifying. Before we jump into it, I learned my lesson last time. So I'm going to ask you guys one one at a time. Tom, <laughs> how are you doing? What's up? What's new? <laughs> doing great. Just finished up a busy month of research. And it comes out perfectly that it's time for another U.S. window to get started. So I am my schedule's free. And I'm here to just have a week and a half to just focus on U.S. soccer. Awesome. How about you, Ryan? Going pretty well, man. Uh, enjoying the Germany's Unity Day, which is today. So it celebrates bringing down the Berlin Wall. And so it's definitely a, a good time in the neighborhood. You can smell all the barbecues going around. Uh, so nice. I had the long trick back from Stuttgart earlier today. But uh, what a wonderful thing to come back to, to all my neighbors barbecuing and <laughs> sharing all the way around. It's nice. Nice. Hope we don't keep you too long on this. But thanks for joining us as always. Guys, if you're here watching us, make sure to like the video so more people can find us. If you're listening to wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to like or leave a positive review so more people can find us there. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about the 27-man roster that Greg has called in. We're going to preview the window of games for the October qualifying window. And we want to hear from you guys as well. So let us know how many points and what the performances are that you expect. So let's jump right into it with the performances that we really liked last week before we dive in too much to the 27-man roster. Someone we're probably going to talk about, for me at least, is Joe Scally. He has continued to put in performance after performance for Gladbach in Germany, had a goal this weekend, and that comes off winning the player of the month in the first month of the Bundesliga for Gladbach. So Joe Scali, for me, was definitely one of the players that had the best performances over the weekend. And then maybe not performance-wise, but it was really nice for me to see Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa all get tons of minutes for their clubs over the last week. That's, for me, my preferred trio that starts in the middle of the park for the U.S. men's national team. So to see all of them at least healthy, maybe not in the best form for their clubs. But yeah, we, we are coming into it at a good time. But what about you guys, Ryan? Maybe let's start with you. Any Americans abroad or domestic in MLS that really caught your eye last week? Uh, for me, the one of the first ones that I would talk about is going to be Gianluca Busio. Uh, he's really kind of come into his own and leveled up over in Syria. And this week he uh, surpassed 500 minutes. So he's really doing well for himself. He started actually the last six games and also scored his first goal this past week. So definitely tip of that to him. And it was uh, in the in stoppage time to tie up the game and help keep them out of the relegation zone. So definitely cool to see him coming into his own. Uh, and then secondly, we've talked about him a lot, but Brendan Aronson just continues to impress game after game. Uh, against Lille, he had what I would call kind of a, an assist, if you will, when the pass that he put through in the, what was it, Adyemi got fouled in the box. And it was just a beautifully weighted pass. You can see it was that classic Salzburg style of play where they were breaking on the counter and perfectly weighted into the box, but not close enough to the keeper to where the keeper could come out 
and the defender was forced to make a decision and made the poor one. So, yeah, it was really impressive to see him play well during the week. And then he also, uh, in the game that's going on right now while we're recording uh, or live, um, he has an assist as well tonight. So coming in in good form into the window, he's gotten a lot of minutes under his belt. He's playing in the middle of the field again, so it'll be interesting to see if Greg, you know, chooses to play him out wide or chooses to play him in the middle. Yeah, how about you, Tom? I'm going to go with Daryl DK, um, who had a great game last night for Orlando City, got the winner in stoppage time for them, was the highest-rated player. Tim Timothy Weah also had a great week. He continues to impress for Lille. They didn't win that Champions League game, but he was the highest-rated player for Lille on Fop Mob and has looked dangerous every single time he's stepped on the field. And is starting for them now, which is a really huge step up for him. So the two of them are in good form right now. DK sort of finding that scoring touch again, which is good to see after his injury this summer. Maybe Orlando will actually sell him at some point. I, I Those two both caught my eye. Awesome. As long as they take less than $20 million, I think he's probably gone. But we've said that before, <laughs> so you never know. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the question that lies with him. I, it's interesting to see where... MLS rates their players to where globally people rate MLS players. Yeah. 20 million is a pretty high price tag. I think it'd be more reasonable. If they were to get like 12 million out of it, even 10, I think they, they got to pull the trigger. Yeah. Well, that's like got, Josie Altador money. Yeah. Yeah. Sporting Kansas City got 10. Yo. So I would say 10 is a fair price for DK, who, you know, he had one really good run in the championship, but he's not been a world beater since then. So I I, I don't see that valuation being a fair one based on potential right now. He could turn into a really great striker, but, you know, Orlando might need to set their sights a little bit lower here. Otherwise, they have a Chris Mueller situation. I'm interested to see how much Ricardo Pepe gets sold for because those yeah. two are... Mm-hmm. maybe around the same valuation. Pepe is probably a little bit higher in valuation just because of his age and how many goals mm-hmm. he's scoring in MLS. But man, we have some really nice Americans coming through the ranks in MLS. And yeah, Gianluca Busio getting his first goal, like you said, Ryan. Just a pretty good weekend all around for some of our maybe B-tier Americans in this roster. Yeah, and young guys. So it's cool to see them taking the next step. Yeah. Well... Don't jump the gun too too much on the young guys. We'll we'll talk about that in later in the episode when we go through tweets of the week. And guys, for everyone commenting, we really appreciate all of the comments, all the views. Um, we'll be doing a fan Q&A at the very end of this episode. So if you do have any questions for us, make sure to pop them in the chat. So let's go to the 27-man roster, the players who will actually be playing in this window. Let's talk about your stars and strikes. So the segment returns after a few weeks since the last qualifying window, this is essentially just letting us know who your stars are on this roster, maybe some great decisions that Greg made, and what are some strikes, some decisions that are maybe questionable, some things that you would have made maybe done differently. So, Tom, maybe let's start with you. Who who are the stars for this roster? Maybe what's a star decision that Greg made with this 27-man roster? I think for me, the big star decision is to bring way more midfielders and really quality midfielders. So we have Luca De La Torre showing up on this roster. We have Eunice Musa showing up on this roster. Both of those are players who I really want to see. I think they're going to be great additions to this midfield. It's it's just nice to see them get called up. Um, I also like Busio. I'm glad to see him get another call. He's been in great form, really adapted well to his time in Serie A. So 
they, in that regard, I think that that's going to be a really big improvement from the last window where we really struggled in the midfield. I'm not sure beyond that. Uh, we'll talk about later strikes. So, but I have some problems with our forwards. <laughs> so, so very few stars. It sounds like from you, Tom. I it's it's a okay. It's a fine roster. I think it's going to get the job done. It's not the best roster we've ever put out. <laughs> Fair and. and... Also, when we have Pulisic and Reyna healthy, I mean, the September window roster looked like the best roster we've ever put together for World Cup qualifying. So it's really difficult to match that level when both of them are injured and trying to figure out who's going to support those yeah. uh, those positions with them out. Ryan, how about you? Well, the, the three people I wanted to point out uh, just off the bat was going to be really happy to see Chris Richards in the lineup. He's been on fire down at Hoffenheim. They suffered a tough result uh, yesterday. But since he's moved over to Hoffenheim, he's played pretty much, I think, every single minute for them uh, and been a consistent starter for them. So it'll be great to get him in, start him to get some chemistry with Miles Robinson and John Anthony Brooks. So excited to see him in there. Tom, I'd agree with Yunus Musa. Uh, it'll be great. Hopefully we can actually get him cap tied now. I know he's been outspoken and he really is ours, but still it's firmly set in stone. Then I'll just I'll be able to sleep a little bit better once that's done, and I'd love to see him playing in the middle of the field for us. Uh, and then lastly, Timmy Vewea, getting him back in the roster. It was disappointing to see him out last time. I was excited to see him get the call up. He's been playing well. I'm interested to hear from you guys though. Where where do you think Greg's going to play him? I know he's he's played a little bit up top for Lille and has been playing out wide. What do you guys think his best position is? I personally see him as a winger. I, I, I know that he can play a striker, and maybe if we were to switch to sort of a Thomas Tuchel-style back three, he could sort of fit in that false nine striker role. But I just don't see him as being the prototypical Greg Berhalter sort of hold-up pressing striker that we're used to seeing you know, out of these rosters. So on some rosters, I think, especially in a two-man striker setup, I think he'd be great. But just for this specific window... I do think that we're going to play him out wide. I agree. And with his club situation, for for instance, if you put him up against Matthew Hoppy, right? I think in essence, they can play very similar positions. They can both play the nine. They can both play a bit wider. But Matthew Hoppy is playing the nine for his club, whereas Timothy Weah is playing out wide for Lille. So for me, yeah. I think if we're going to look at him on this roster, especially again with Pulisic and Reyna out, Timothy Wea for me is is definitely going on the wing for us. And uh real quick as well, we'll definitely answer some questions at the end, but we did get a super chat from Preston. So we'll talk about this now. Um, thank you so much, Preston, for the super chat. He said, for me, the roster is a seven out of ten. And with the seven out of ten, he expects seven points. So we will give our expectations and our predictions as well once we go through strikes. But thank you so much, Preston. Really appreciate it. Um, all right, so let's talk about some of those strikes. We we had some stars there. We had some players, Yunus Musa, Luca De La Torre, that can transition the ball from defense to offense. We haven't really seen that with the U.S. team for the last few years. What are some strikes? What are some decisions that you don't really necessarily agree with? Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. So I'll, I'll add one other thing on to the way you phrased originally what were some of Greg's star, star choices in the beginning just one additional thing I'll add in. I think one of the star choices that he did make was to bring McKenny back in. Uh, the, the question that he was asked about it in the presser, 
seems like the team is very much ready to move on. So I just wanted to touch on that real fast. I think it's it's good to see him back in the in the team and then moving forward, not worrying about anything in the past, just you know, keep on marching. So happy to see that. As far as our strikes go, uh, I want to keep I want to put a kind of a positive spin on it. Typically, the strikes can be a little bit tough. So instead of calling out guys that are in the roster, I'll kind of point out guys I wish Greg had called in. And so they're in a sense, they're strikes to Greg's decisions. Um, As we touched on earlier, I don't think we need to harp on it too much. But Joe Scali is definitely one of the biggest ones. For me, it was really surprising to see him leave Conrad De La Fuente off this roster, especially when you look at the roster makeup. Not a lot of wing depth on there. Uh, we kind of talked about it too. You can play Hoppy out there. Wea can play out there. But Conrad's been looking really solid for Marseille. I know he's on the bench tonight, but we'll see if he gets some substitute minutes. Uh, but when we're missing a player like Christian Pulisic, I think Conrad's something of a like-for-like for like replacement because he can come on and really take players one-on-one. So if you do have a defense that's bunkered in and not giving us a lot of space and you need the way to unlock that defense is you have to beat your one-on-one um, person, then that's that's the decision I would go with is to have Conrad in there. Everyone, it seems like the flavor of the week is to bash on Sargent. Everyone says, you know, they're glad he's not there. They don't think he deserved to be in. Uh, we've talked plenty about having 30-man rosters. And in a 30-man roster, I think Sargent definitely comes in and competes. He's another guy that can play out on the wing for us, gives us more depth out there. And then with the update to the rules from the UK on players being able to travel, uh, missing Ethan Horvath, I think, is is kind of a bummer. I think he's kind of a glue guy in that locker room. You could tell in Nations League after that game how big he stepped up. And to see the way that everybody kind of rallied around him, you can tell he's definitely kind of a locker room favorite. Uh, I haven't watched a ton of Sean Johnson this year, but watching Jake's video earlier about how he's kind of underperformed in MLS this year. I think that missing Ethan Horvath is, is, is going to be the last strike. Yeah. Tom, how about you? Yeah, I, I don't actually have any strikes besides I, I really do think Joe Scally deserves his over Shaq Moore for a roster spot. I don't have any strikes for besides that for like this player should be in over that player. I, I do think that the Horvath one is a great point though as well. My strike is more why are we still not bringing 30-man rosters? We have six forwards. There, you know, we went through an episode last week where we named 10 different guys who could have played in these forward spots. Why are we only calling in six people? Like, that makes no sense to me. Why are we calling in so many midfielders, so many defenders, and yet continue to lack any offensive threats on these rosters? Yeah. We have, like, I mean, a couple of good players, but that's that's not going to be enough if a team is bunkering and we're playing three games in nine days. These six players are going to be dead by the end of the window. It, it, it frustrates me. There's a lot of times, Tom, where I look at some of these decisions and I say, I don't agree with it, but I understand the mindset or decision-making process that this person made. And you touched on the 30-man roster. The The U.S. Soccer Federation is not poor. <laughs> it's not <laughs> lacking cash. It's not lacking um, resources to bring in 30 people. So when I look at, like, shout out to JD, who's in the, the comment section, Jamaican uh, commenter. Um, Jamaica brought 24 players on their roster for World Cup qualifying. Yeah. But most people say mm. that's due to the Federation not having enough funds to bring them here. They're asking the government to, to help them out. The U.S. Soccer Federation is not in that same boat. They can bring three more people and not break the bank. So I completely agree with you. It's it's not necessarily about who is on this roster because I understand the injuries. 
Um, even Josh Sargent, someone like that, I'm okay mm. with leaving him off this roster to give him a bit more time with his club to just get acclimated. I would have liked to see him there because I think he plays at a level above maybe some of the other people on this list. But it it's kind of incomprehensible how we don't use all of our roster spots. And then to then have Greg say, well, I want people with experience with this team, uh, giving that as the the excuse to not bring Scally or bring Shaq Moore over Scally. Some of those comments just kind of fuel the fire to me. And again, I know we're kind of more, we're, we're getting away from our positivity that we usually have <laughs> because it's the same questions over and over again. But something like that, again, I, I just can't see the decision-making process where maybe I can for Josh Sargent, or maybe I can for- How dare you? <laughs> How dare I? Exactly. So yeah, my strike is more like, why not use the room that we have? Why, why lack depth? at the winger position when we have Conrad De La Fuente, when we have Josh Sargent, why not bring Joe another, Scali, even if we have Shaq Moore? So, yeah, Tom. Another two names we haven't really touched on. <laughs> we have Jordan Peefock, who scored a winner mid against Manchester United in the Champions League, who doesn't get a sniff of this roster as a reward for that. We also are not even talking about Julian Green as another person who could be in the midfield or as a hybrid winger on, on this roster. There are so many great names that we could fill these spots with. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't really know what Greg's thinking. Bolivia called in 50 people to their qualifying roster. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, 53. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Ryan, did any of that peak any uh, additional <laughs> comments from you? I know we talked for a bit. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, I just, I agree with everything you guys have said, but yeah, I just want to kind of keep it, keep it positive. And, and so therefore I'm not going to call out any of the players that are in the roster. Just would like to see some better decision-making by the Federation and the coach. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one night. But yeah. The boys that are putting on the Jersey, I'm, I'm going to be behind them hundred percent. I don't, it doesn't matter who gets called in for me. If, if you're in and you're playing for us and you can get us three points, Hey, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do I do want to point out that I really love all of these players in the roster. I'm even a fan of Ariola and Zardes, who are very getting a lot of crap for their call up. I both think both of them are very valuable and will be very like positive presences on this team throughout this window. So I don't want to replace anyone. I really just want us to keep adding names until we yeah. just run out of people who we want to put there. <laughs> I said this before the Gold Cup because someone like Jonathan Lewis, for example, is called into the roster. I, I want to speak directly to the U.S. fan right now. John, It's not Jonathan Lewis's fault that he's called into a roster. All he can do is do his best when he's called upon. It's not Shaq Moore's fault that he's called into the roster. It's not Paul Ariola's fault that he's called into the roster. That is the coach's decision. So do not hate on a player for being called into a roster and being asked to do something on the field because that's all that's the best that they can do. They were called in, they're on the team, we're fans of this team and we need to support them when they're on the field. We can criticize the decision, we can criticize their play when they're on the field. But let's not send hate mail to Paul Ariola and Giassi Zardes <laughs> because they're called in to the roster. It's like that grinds my gears <laughs> when that happens. Yeah. Well, and, you know, keep in mind, too, that 
without Paul Ariola and Giassi Zardes, there are three play three players over the age of twenty five on this roster. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we need strong experience. foreshadowing, Tom. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so quick note before we do move to our predictions for the October window, Tim Ream did remove himself for family reasons and was replaced by Walker Zimmerman, who again, I think is a very strong choice to uh, come in as a center back, maybe second, uh, second choice, third choice on this roster. Um, all right, let's talk about some of our expectations and predictions for the October window. If I can uh, start sharing my screen, it will essentially be... Uh, a home match against Jamaica in Austin, Texas, an away match against Panama, and then back home in Columbus, Ohio against Costa Rica. So let's talk about our predictions and expectations for this window. Seems to me to be another easier window. I don't say easy. I don't mean that word. But relative to the other windows that we'll have where we'll have to start playing Mexico, we'll have to start playing some of these tougher teams away. Again, this seems like a window where maybe we should start to be racking up some points for some of those more dangerous <clears throat> windows. So, Ryan, let's start with you. What are your predictions for this window? I mean, so I kind of looked through how each team performed in the last window. Uh, and Jamaica, when you look at the roster, is is a pretty talented roster. It's impressive when you see kind of where these where the guys are playing abroad. Um, but I was actually able to speak with some guy with – it's at get Jamaican or get Jamaican football news on Twitter. And he and I were talking earlier today, just kind of about what went wrong in the last window for Jamaica. And, and as a Jamaican supporter, his takeaway was that it was a lot of new guys with not a lot of time together. So they're a team that only got one point out of the last window. So I really think that we're going to see an extremely hungry Jamaican squad in that first game people kind of look at it as, you know, their bottom of the table right now. It should, it's a home game for us. It should be easy three points, but I think we should temper our expectations a little bit. I, I let me rephrase that. I think our expectations should be high. We should expect to get three points out of it, but I think it's going to be a tougher game than a lot of people expect. Um, and then secondly, looking at the Panama game, these guys are tied with us. They got five points in the last window as well. Um, they, uh, tied Mexico 1-1 at home. So, you know, the other kind of top team in CONCACAF went down to Panama and they couldn't come away with three points. Uh, and then they also held Costa Rica to 0-0. So the, Panama has definitely performed really well in the first window. I think that's going to be a really tough game for us. Uh, and then Costa Rica, this is the one game that I'm pretty optimistic about. They're certainly not the, the Costa Rica of the early 2010s. So if I'm looking at, per se, the easiest game, though none of them are, the easiest game in this window for me is going to be uh, Costa Rica at home. But those first two are going to be tough. Uh, my expectation out of this is going to be seven points. How about you, Tom? Yeah, I, I'm right there with Ryan. I, I do think these games are going to be tougher than we're thinking they are. But at the same time, this is one of our easier windows. I also agree with you on that, Jake. So, you know, my best case scenario is obviously getting all three wins. I, I think this, this if we're going to get nine from a window, this is the window we're going to do it in. So I would love to see us snag nine points from this window. I do expect right around the same as Ryan, where we're going to go about seven points. I do think we're going to trip up at some point. I think that Panama way... We did win there last decade, which is something we rarely did in CONCACAF. 
but Panama has played really well so far, far in qualifying. I do think they're due for a little bit of regression to the mean, so I think this will be a little bit worse window for them than they had last window. I don't think they can sustain how well they played last time throughout the entirety of qualifying. My worst case, though, is six points. If we go below six points, we're in trouble. We need to be winning get more matches than we are, and this is the window to start doing it. Yeah, completely agree. I think our last window kind of screws us on the situations that we need from this window. Every every successive window, the more points you pick up, the easier it gets for you and the more room that you give yourself going forward. So I, I don't necessarily think that it's a very difficult window, but it can be kind of code red. We're in trouble if we don't pick up. I, I think, like you said, six points is kind of the minimum that we need to start being safe in these next windows. And for this U.S. team, even without Pulisic and Reyna, I do expect them to get the job done. Uh, Jamaica is almost the same, except in the opposite direction of what you're talking about for Panama. As Panama needs to come back to the mean, I think Jamaica can also start to reach their quality on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's definitely a scary game for me. I think they have some really good individual players, but they're just not quite playing as a team. Their coach doesn't seem to have a very good handle on what he should be doing against these CONCACAF opponents. And Panama is not the Panama of yesteryear. They're a very young team. Their uh, best player looks to be a 22-year-old Andres Andrade, who plays uh, for Bielefeld in the Bundesliga right now. So again, none of these are easy games. It just starts, it only gets harder from here. So I think six points is what I need to see to be happy. Five points is probably realistic minimum, but I can see a very uh, realistic scenario as well where we get nine points from this window. Uh, Ryan, it now looks I've... like you want to say something. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say, like, yeah, if we end up with five, it just, there's something that makes me feel that this that's too close to last qualifying window where we're doing like just enough to give the Federation and the coaches excuses. To where they go, oh, everything's fine. We, you know, we're we're winning our home games, but you know, tying away, everything's going to be okay. And I know that's the mantra, but as fans, and I think we should be we should be expecting more. I agree with you. It, it five is obviously a mathematical possibility here, but as a fan, if we walk out of this window with five, um, I'm I'm going to be pretty riled up about that. I, I would not be stoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think five is my bare minimum for Burhalter keeps his job. That's that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> is if he can't get to five, then we're probably bringing Bob Bradley back into the fold. Um, I'm interested to hear you guys' takes on how we're going to rotate players throughout this window. Keeping in mind, last window we chose to rest some starters against El Salvador, then go with a full eleven against Canada, and then basically piece together whoever was healthy for Honduras. Do you think we go a similar strategy here? Do we think we pick a game where we're like we circle one and say this is we're going to start everyone here? This is the one we want to win. I do think what I am expecting to see is that Jamaica is going to be the best team possible for for the U.S. We're going to put out the best team possible. Panama, we're going to put out a team to rest at least Serginho Dest. Uh, we've seen he doesn't necessarily play well in away Concacaf games, and he probably does need at least one of these games to rest. Um, so I, I kind of expect us to do like a three in the back with maybe George Bello and DeAndre Edlin against Panama. 
and potentially say we are okay with a draw, but we're going for the win. And then coming back to Columbus, Ohio, I expect us to put the best roster that we can out. So it's kind of like ABA for me in this window for sure. But Ryan, how about you? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Jake. Um, I, I've kind of rolled it out there a little bit before, and I think it's it could be a a formula for success for us. Some some of these games that are away for us are going to be in, in tough environments that are going to – we can get sloppy wins. I'm okay with getting a win off scoring on a corner or a set piece, uh, not necessarily dominating possession – or the teams that do bunker down, I'm fine with having 70% of possession, but 12 shots and two of them on target. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see games like that. So for the away games, I'm totally okay with rolling out some guys that are used to playing in that environment. Uh, I think it it suits some of the guys like Paul Ariola or like Jazzy Zardes. Uh, I know that's going to be a hot take for some people because they're, they're furious with them even in the roster, but... I think those guys do bring something to the table for our away games during qualifying. Uh, as long as Greg keeps in the back of his mind, once we get on, you know, knock on wood, once we go on the plane to go to Qatar, that's not CONCACAF qualifying anymore. Like we don't need to go into the World Cup with that type of mentality, but I'm cool with using that as a mentality to get us there. Yeah. And uh, I do want to highlight one of these comments because uh, Jason said, he expects nine points from this window, but in reality, I'm anxious. So that brings up something that I just feel as a U.S. men's national team fan. Ever since Kuva, there's been this like intense uh, excitement towards our young core of players that are playing in the best leagues in the world. And at the same time, making sure that I have this little thought in the back of my head that said, it's not a guarantee that we qualify for the World Cup. And I'm always trying to just balance those two thoughts as, as a U.S. fan, trying to not get overly optimistic, but also be realistic about the actual talent that we do have on the field. I don't know if you guys feel similarly. So I, I'm a Georgia sports fan. I grew up an Atlanta Falcons, a uh, Atlanta Braves, a Atlanta Hawks, University of Georgia football fan. All of those teams have at some point blown a tremendous lead and let me down and just like ripped my heart out at the last minute regularly over the last two decades. So I'm sort of wired to sort of not get hopeful and not give myself, if I feel that hope creeping in, I just start to push it back down again. So I try and keep my expectations realistic. I keep saying, you know, Thomas, we're young. You can't be optimistic. It won't work out for you. So I, I, I'm very seasoned at that. I have the same mentality. <laughs> Yeah, you know when you know when Tom goes full name Thomas that he's he's keeping it real. Uh, that's <laughs> he's that's when the expectations are. Yeah, that's when it's really <laughs> up there. But I, yeah, I would agree with you, Tom. I'm kind of the same way. I grew up in San Diego. I was a Chargers fan, Padres fan. Uh, you know, I'm I'm used to this kind of thing. So I would agree with you though, Jake. Too that it definitely it needs to to temper. It needs to just make things realistic for us because I think. I know my whole lifetime, that was the first time that the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup. And it was a gut shot. Uh, I was actually working in the emergency room uh, that night, watching the game on my phone. And for the first time ever, when I, I walked into a patient's room after we lost, and the patient asked me, are you okay? And my <laughs> response to them was, I think that's my line. Like, you're, you're in the emergency room. I'm supposed to be making sure you're all right. So, yeah, it just it took 
the, the U.S. soccer fandom to a different level of how great it can feel for games like Ghana in 2014. Um, yeah, 2014. Um, how high you can feel on a game like that. You just have to know that there's equal and opposite reaction. So therefore, you can feel that low. And I think it's it's nice to have that in the back of our head to realize, you know, it is a possibility. And I really, I hope that, and I think it shows, all of our young players know that as well. They grew up watching some of, like, the Michael Bradleys and the Josie Altidores. Uh, if they were even watching a little bit before that, then actually these guys are too young probably to be watching anybody before that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they know. They saw them not qualify last time. Christian talked about it because he was actually there. The pressure that this brings to the team, I think, is actually healthy for them. It's it's good for them to have so they don't walk onto the field with arrogance of thinking, we're the U.S., this is CONCACAF, we can walk on the field and qualify no matter what. They know that they've got to go out there and prove it for 90 minutes every time they go play, and I think it's a good thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, shall we move on to the tweets of the week? I feel like we need a theme theme song or something uh, for these just as uh, it gets a bit more more popular. Um, so, all right, we're going to start with uh, this one from Oliver Platt. Who wants to take Herdman and his comments on Canada playing in Edmonton? I mean, I can go ahead and take this one. Uh, Herdman on playing in Edmonton. We, want to we wanted to make it difficult for the opponent. We wanted to make them travel across time zones and play in Canadian winter on a surface they won't be happy with, which... I mean, props to Canada. This is a great mentality to have. This is the best of CONCACAF right here. Use your terrain, use your country's geographic uh, benefits to your advantage. I We sent Costa Rica to Denver in the middle of a blizzard back in 2013 to play a snowball. We have regularly sent Mexico to Ohio. We It's, it's just a great decision to sort of send the teams to an atmosphere they're not comfortable with and see what they do with it. So I, 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 love, I, I love it. I, I, I love I love anything like this in CONCACAP. I love how Ohio is like its own environment that people aren't comfortable with. <laughs> like Denver is a mile high, mile above. It's snowy. Ohio is just like Ohio. Nobody's comfortable there. <laughs> no one wants to go to Ohio. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all right. So yeah. Any extreme that we can find in CONCACAF, and it has such uh, diversity in the geography as well. So it's just awesome to see some teams starting to take advantage of it. Ryan, I'm going to let you take this one since you are our German-American on the ground in Germany. All right. It's, uh... oh, okay. Um, so Jay Hernandez, great follow. Go check him out. He He offers very tempered takes, but... You know, he's authentic as shown by this tweet out here, but he definitely pushes back. And uh, I like that he's willing to engage on Twitter. But he says, if I'm honest, I never thought that Joe Scally would be this good. And I think that's a, probably a pretty accurate take for a lot of us. Uh, I think if you saw him at the U17 World Cup, didn't really impress anybody that much. When you looked at how he wasn't getting minutes at uh, New York City FC, and the limited time that he did get didn't look necessarily very impressive as well. Um, but it just shows that when you get into the right environment, that environment sometimes can be the most important factor into your pro progression as a player. So obviously Munch and Gladbach saw the raw talent in him and they've got a great coaching staff there that they've been able to kind of groom him. And Credit to Joe Scally. He's taken advantage of the opportunity. Coming into the season, he wasn't supposed to be 
getting minutes like this. He's still only getting this opportunity to play on the right and the left because Mönchengladbach Gladbach had suffered uh, a lot of injuries so far to the fullback positions. So, you know, tip of the hat to Scally that he's shown the managers that he deserves to be out there. I think they're really going to be in a tough position once that full squad gets healthy. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting. If, if anybody that's watching this or listening, you guys have an account, go check out this tweet from Jay because even the comments uh, are, are pretty interesting. Some of the retweets from people that were sh- kind of agreeing with it. They were, they were saying, yeah, I really didn't expect this. Uh, and they're kind of some of the are out there. So credit to everybody to being humble. And, you know, it's it's nice to sometimes go back and look at some of the takes that you've had and reflect. So therefore, it can remind us that sometimes somebody that isn't performing well in a specific situation that's still young, sometimes a new scenery can be all they need to really take their game to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, I think it would probably be difficult for anyone to expect that from Joe Scally. And I guess credit sure. to Gladbach's scouts who saw that and saw his development coming along like it has, because that's been one of the best moves for Americans abroad over the last few years. Yeah, the one person that I will say did call it, uh, I can't remember where the interview was, um, but his good bud, Gio. Gio said that the next young American that's going to come onto the stage is going to be Joe Scally. So, you know, he stuck by his buddy from day one and he's, he came good on the bet. So, you know, at least Gio one knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Gio and Claudio know what's up. <laughs> I think he also said he has the worst uh, fashion sense in the American pool. <laughs> Joe Scally. He's probably not wrong. He's got some tough competition. We got some, we got some suave dressing individuals on this team. Yeah, but Joe Scally is the worst, is what Gio's saying. That, that's what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah, he's got some tough competition. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you're showing up yeah. in baggy jeans and a T-shirt, <laughs> you know, Kellen Acosta is going to make you look like a fool. I think Kellen Acosta recently was uh, kind of tagged by somebody as probably the best dresser in the pool. Yeah, I mean, if you, Ooh. I think he does like a fashion, a weekly fashion shoot, Kellen Acosta does. So it's <laughs> it's hard to beat him. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so for this yeah. one, it's at US Soccer Men's Bot. Definitely go check this out. I don't think it's a bot at all. I don't trust that this is a robot. This is definitely a person. So shout out to whoever runs <laughs> this account. Um, but it's it's the fact that the United States will field the field the youngest squad in the world for October's FIFA World Cup qualifiers. The average age of our squad will be 24.6 years old. So if you put that against the Netherlands, that has 26 years of age. Uh, Germany, 26.1. Canada, 26.6. Brazil, 27.3. We have the youngest squad on average for this World Cup qualifying window. Again, I just think that speaks to the excitement that we're feeling around these, the talent that we have on this team. And now that they are getting their feet wet in CONCACAF, getting some of these games out of the way will just be such good experience for our players. And yeah, I'm you cannot be, uh, you cannot pick a better time to be a U.S. soccer fan right now, watching this men's team develop with each other, getting their their feet wet, getting their their teams blooded in Concacaf, and we should be starting to see the fruits of that labor over the next few months as we get deeper and deeper into the qualifying round. Um, so, any other comments on the age piece, guys? No, I'd just be really curious to see if this number was with Tim Ream in the lineup or with uh, Walker Zimmerman. Because, you know, Tim Ream being the 
the grandpa on the team out there. The elderly statesman. He, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, he could skew those numbers a little bit. So just be curious to see if that number was before or after. Um, and then the only other thing I would ask you guys too is, this is a really exciting time to be a U.S. fan. There's plenty of room on the bandwagon, so feel free to jump on. I feel like if you're listening to us, you're probably already on the bandwagon, but <laughs> tell your friends that there's plenty of room. Um, is Do you guys think, if, if you had to guess, is this a golden generation or is this to steal some verbiage from COVID our new norm? Go ahead, Tom. I, I think this is more of a new norm, just the way MLS is producing talent, the amount that they're investing in putting that talent on the field early and often. I, I just think that we're just going to keep seeing player after player after player going abroad. That's not to say there won't be dips and peaks in how much is going abroad, how many of those players hit, how many we have Joe Scallies versus Brian Reynolds who take a little bit longer to develop or maybe stall out. It, I, it just completely depends on these players and how they perform. But I think the overall level is just at another level than what we've seen in the past. And so I don't think we're going back down for a long time. I completely agree with that, Tom. Everything you said is is how I feel. One thing I'll add to that, though, is as we get further and further in time, the players that are currently playing at that peak, your Christian Pulisic, your Giovanni Reynas, they're 23 years old. They're 20 years old. Serginho Dest is 20 years old. Timothy Way is 21 years old. So as we get further and further in time and more players come out of MLS, they have these players to look up to that have taken this road before. Because right now, who are the players that Christian Pulisic and Giovanni Reyna are looking up to? Clint Dempsey's retired. Landon Donovan's retired. Michael Bradley is, is not in the team anymore. Josie Altidore is not in the team anymore. Uh, Alejandro Bedoy is not in the team anymore. But I just think as we get further and further along, these younger players will have more role models of how to take their career, how to develop and what to expect from CONCACAF. And they'll also have them on the team with them to be able to bring them along. Whereas right now it's, it is kind of the young generation's team to go and figure it out and get experience for themselves. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's actually one of the things we talked about as being a worrying thing for us is, you know, they're so young and they don't really have those role models to say, hey, this is a World Cup qualifier away. It hits differently. That's a you know tough thing for these qualifying cycles where we're in such high-pressure environments. But at the same time, these guys are doing amazing things. They've found these paths that no one else is finding to get to Europe and succeed and break out and you know just completely light it up, which is awesome to see. And the more people who do that, the more they're going to inspire these young kids coming up through the MLS academies. These MLS academies, like this is the first group that's actually played a full career through an academy system. Now there's kids who are starting out who have watched players go all the way through and make it to the to Europe and start on Champions League teams. So the path is there. We're, we're just going to see more and more starting to follow it. Yeah. So Ryan, I, I feel like I feel the, like that's the yeah I feel like that's like the perfect time for the Jack Nicholas. I was getting screwed up. Jack Nicholas and Nicholson <laughs> gif of him just smiling and nodding like, <laughs> yes. Let's we don't have that technology going. yet in our, in our podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So that was a great question. I think now we'll move to some fan questions. So guys, for anyone watching, just shoot your uh, comments or questions into the chat. We'll start with this one. Pharrell Among Us asked a question a, a few minutes back. He said, honest question, fellas, is success of the U.S. men's national team 
despite Bear Halter? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I feel like this is such a Switzerland answer, and I'm kind of playing the middle ground, but I think the Honduras game was the perfect example of it. Um, of our detriments and our shortcomings were definitely all because of Burhalter, but also the four goals in the second half were kind of because of Burhalter. Uh, I think so. He, he he can screw himself over, but he's shown at least in in a short amount of time that when push comes to shove, he does make the right move. Um, I would say if you I wanted to put a percentage on the success of this team, I'm definitely going to put it at like 75-25. It's going to be 75% of our players, 25% of Greg. Uh, and unfortunately, that that downfall, the 25% could be a downfall for us if Greg continues to make Greg Berhalter-like decisions. How about you, Tom? I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that Berhalter's had some success when he's realized that he can be more flexible than the system allows. Um, and so when he gets cute, we suffer. But at the same time, when he doesn't get cute, when he realizes he's gotten cute and un, like undoes it, he can be a great manager. So, you know, we have our ups and downs with him. He's still learning the international game. He's almost as young for a manager as the players are for, you know, international players. So there were always going to be some growing pains with it. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how he does throughout the rest of the cycle. Yeah. Tom, I, I, I think you hit the nail. Yeah, Tom, I think you hit the nail on the head. Though so Greg does try to get too cute. And I think that's when we as fans get really frustrated. He thinks, he overthinks the game sometime. And he tries to be this cerebral tactician. You know, he, I can't think of the guy as the X-Men guy in the wheelchair that's bald. He thinks he's him. Like, <laughs> Greg, you're not that guy. <laughs> You're not, you're not that guy. <laughs> That's not, you're bringing all the memes to the table today, Ryan. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of indicative of like, if, if he got too cute in the Honduras game, but it worked, we'd all be clapping our hands and giving him a standing ovation for trying something different and perfectly executing a three in the back with Tyler Adams as right wing back. But I think like as he goes, all I want to see is that he's continuing to learn from that. So, Tom, you mentioned him being kind of as young relative to coaches as our players are to players. Ryan, you mentioned like him just going back to the basics and having the most success. So I kind of want to see both of those things get combined, where he's starting to learn from those mistakes and starting at the basics and then pushing it from there. What can he do from there? Because I do see a lot of benefits in him as a man manager, as him building an environment of positivity and, and brotherhood, as they like to call it. But as many dual national Mexican-Americans that we've lost, David Ochoa, it looks like Julian Araujo is probably going to Mexico. We've also gained in Serginho Dest, Yunus Musa, uh, Balogun's still up in the air. There's lots of other players that are up in the air that have been contacted by Greg to play for the US. I think, I do still think that's one of his strengths. Um, all right, so we're gonna move along. Epic Tedis Casanova, sorry if I butchered your name. You said, what is the best formation slash tactical mindset would the US need to run to get the best out of a player like Gianluca Busio? He's such a unique player to me. Uh, so Tom, do you maybe wanna kick us off there? 
Yeah, I I think Busio might be best in a diamond midfield, like a four four two, where he sort of centrally has the ability to sort of play as a true eight with cover behind him as a six and a ten in front of him who can sort of be his progression forward, um, where he can just sort of be a true playmaker all over the field wherever he's needed. I I, I don't think he really works as a six as well as I'd like him to. I do think he needs to be more physical. And I'm not sure he's a 10 either. So any formation where you can get him in as a true eight is where I want to see him. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I would agree with that for right now for Busio. Uh, he's still young. He's still not very big. Uh, hopefully, you know, he can put on a couple LBs over the years. And then I think he can move to that six position. Uh, but right now he still gets little brothered a little bit around the field. So, yeah, Tom, I totally agree with you that giving him a little bit of protection behind him and letting him play to his strengths of being able to progress the ball up the field. Uh, his passing is definitely a level up. He's he, That's it, one of the biggest strengths to his game. So if you can get him into space and let him see the field a little bit, then right now as an eight, I think that's a great place for him. But I would be optimistic to see maybe in three to four years from now if he could put a little bit of weight on, hit the weight room a bit, and then potentially move him back to the six. Because I know at SKC – they played him a few games as a six, and I was pretty impressed with the bite he has. Like, he's willing to go into a challenge. Uh, it just worries me that, you know, he's, he's a bit of a little guy out there. So, you know, yeah. when, little, when little guy has big dreams, sometimes it doesn't work out so good for him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if, if he could just put on a few LBs and in the meantime, let him play in the middle, uh, let him create, but then move him back. And then also, too, you know, he's played more, he's got more time under his belt, sees the game probably a little bit faster. I think he could almost kind of be that six that Greg wishes he had right now. Yeah. And as frustrating as it has been when he's been beaten in Syria for like that first game that he played, he was kind of at fault for at least one of the goals that the other team scored. I somewhat appreciate that he's being played in that way in Italy because he has that pressure now and he has the, the need to improve his work rate to get, bigger in the gym to make sure that he's in the right position because there's a bit more pressure on him now in Syria to be kind of stopping in front of that defensive line, not necessarily playing a six directly, but he is a very large part of that team and how they play in their defensive structure. So I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, maybe it might not go so well, but when he does get beaten, hopefully it's a lesson to him on how he can improve. So let's see, we're going to take one or two more questions. This next one is from Preston. He said, who, in your opinions, is the most underrated player in U.S. men's national team history? Who is your sneaky favorite? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, this is a great question. Yeah, well played. Well Props, played, Preston. Uh, I, I'm going to go with, as a keeper, you know, everybody always talks about Tim Howard. Brad Friedel gets a lot of hype. But everyone kind of forgets about the middle guy there in Casey Keller. Casey Keller was a beast for years. Um, so he was, when I was a young kid growing up and watching USMNT games, I was always watching Casey Keller playing keeper myself. And so I feel like he's a guy that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, but I think in the, in the rankings of keeper order, he probably always gets pushed down a little bit more than he deserves. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Uh, I'll go, I'm going to give two. One is kind of obvious because if you know, you know, Steve Chirondolo essentially played an entire career in first division European football 
and never really got talked about. And he was maybe overshadowed by some of those players that you just mentioned, Ryan, maybe overshadowed by Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan. Um, Kobe Jones maybe was was the start of his era. But Steve Tarundolo is kind of like the the OG across the pond that really started to, to settle the name for Americans in Europe. Um, the second one is probably a bit silly, and maybe I'll answer the sneaky favorite one is Dax McCarty for me. <laughs> he, I think he has like five caps for the U.S., but in his time in MLS, especially from like Red Bulls on, so then when he moved after Red Bull, I just really think he had a lot to provide to maybe be the backup for Michael Bradley, and he played really well for club for like the last seven years, but didn't get as much time as I would have liked to see him get a sniff at the national team. So maybe that's a bit sillier, but I truly believe with my coaching and my scouting hat on, Dex McCarty had a lot more to give us than he he was able to in the men's national team. I'm going to go, I had Shrendolo marked for this question, so dang it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go the other outside back. I'm going to go with DeMarcus Beasley as another yes. player who just had a great career, was absolutely insane throughout you know he was in european football for a while he had a long mls career i still kind of believe that he's eligible to play left back and we could trot him out there if we were really desperate i think he can still do it <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> um so yeah he's a great player who i think is definitely underrated for being probably the best left back who we've ever had um i'm gonna go for a sneaky favorite too is jermaine jones he didn't play a long time, but when they played, he was fantastic. And I love the energy he brought. He just had the true American grit in the midfield. So I, I always loved watching Jermaine Jones play. And that goal he scored against Portugal at World Cup 2014 is top five for me of any goal Americans scored. <laughs> the the sound of that net still <laughs> is like what I dream Snap, about when I go to sleep. It snaps like a whip. <laughs> just that crack. Yeah, incredible. That's, that's a great call, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sneaky also, one more I'm going to fit in there. I'm going to fit yeah, one more in. Eddie Pope. You know, a lot of people nowadays, people, if if John Brooks could, could just go watch Eddie Pope defensive videos and add <laughs> the Eddie Pope defense to his game with his distribution, then I think Brooks goes down as one of the best UMNT defenders. But in the meantime, you, you definitely got to give it to Eddie Pope. Uh, the I think him and Gooch, like there's so many great guys from the early 2000s and like late 90s. When you go look at some of those teams, those are like the true USA-Mexico rivalry games. That that infamous clip of Gooch staring down the Mexican player, like those are iconic moments in U.S. history and USMNT history. So, yeah, Preston, again, tip of the hat to you, man. Great question. Absolutely. I see some uh, other people getting involved in the comments. I saw Jay Demerit, which is an excellent. Oh, that's, a, that's a good shout. Yeah, we, we had some. John uh, O'Brien. Easily, Eddie Pope, Claudio Reyna, uh, Moadu. Awesome. Moadu so, is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, someone just said Wea assists. So maybe as we're speaking, Timothy Wea gets an assist for Leo. We'll have to go check that out. Um, all right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We really appreciate just everyone so much for being here for these live episodes, for all the comments and questions. Um, so many great people to have along for the journey with us. So if you could like the video so more people can find us, 
If you're listening on where you listen to podcasts, make sure you leave a positive review and like that as well. And next Sunday, I'll be hosting a 12-hour charity stream for the Open Goal Project. I'll be playing FIFA throughout the day. We'll have special guests like Sam Stokes from Yank Report. Meg Swanick will be on the ground in Panama the day of to talk to us about the Panama game. And uh, Bells from the Scuffed podcast will also be joining us. Tom and Ryan, I think, are planning on stopping by throughout the day. And then we will culminate the day in a live watch along for the Panama versus U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifying game. So I'd really appreciate it if everyone could be there for that as well. But yeah, that's our show. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Ryan, as always, for making the time and joining me. And we will see you guys next week on Yanks Go Talking.